The reading um, actually doesn't have a number on the page, but it is 1330. 1230, sorry. 1230. 3 John. 1230. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, would have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call, atten I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do ask that you will help us to be alert now to uh, thinking through, for, in order to be able to think through what is in your word, to engage with what you are saying to us. And we pray that as we do that, your Holy Spirit will work in our lives uh, and enable us to walk in the truth ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was lovely that uh, during the coffee break, uh, one or two people came up with questions afterwards, so I'm sorry I didn't leave more time for questions. Uh, one of the good questions uh, that, that someone put to me was, uh, since we were touching on the subject of sexuality, um, what, uh, what, what should we be doing if we find ourselves um, uh, living next door to uh, a gay couple, uh, and maybe they invite us to their wedding? Or what should we do if... Um, our children uh, enter into uh, same-sex relationships, or our grandchildren, uh, and things like that. Um, and 
what I want to say is that uh, in our last session, we, what we were talking about was the church as a whole uh, sticking firmly to the truth um, and um, uh, continuing to walk in it and not to be misled by teachers who want to take us off into a different direction. That was something aimed at the teaching that goes on in a church. When it comes to us in our own individual relationships, we're never encouraged in the Bible to be anything but gentle and respectful. Um, uh, yes, of course, we want to shine like lights and we want to lead people to Christ, but we do so gently and respectfully. Um, and uh, my hope is that if we find ourselves in these circumstances, that we, uh, we show love to others, we love our neighbours as ourselves, so that they should know us primarily not for a position we've taken, but for the love that we show. Um, and, you know, the last thing you do if you're living next door to a, a gay couple is go and knock on their door and inform them with uh, uh, the, the full uh, uh, reasoning you have for why you disagree with, uh, you know, whatever relationship they may have. That's not the, the most loving or uh, um, sensible thing uh, to do. Um, after all, many people... For, for many people, their whole identity is bound up with their sexuality. So if you say, you know, what, what you're doing is contrary to what I believe, it's almost as though we're challenging their right to exist. So we, we wouldn't really start at that place. Uh, we, would, we would want them to know us as loving and loving neighbours who uh, were keen to get on with them and to um, help them and for, to, to be grateful for help they offer to us and so forth. Um, there are always difficult decisions to take um, along the way, particularly if it's relatives uh, who are in this situation. But we, I, I hope that as Christians we allow ourselves uh, the room to draw different conclusions about what in how in practice we should respond to things without judging one another for doing that. Um, uh, and I know various people that are in these situations and you know, they really are struggling to work out what the best thing to do would be. Um, overall, though, I think the message is to show love, and of course our deep desire is that people should come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and then have his spirit indwell them and start to uh, prompt in them the, the belief that maybe uh, things in their own lives need to change. Um, and God does that wonderful work in people's lives, doesn't he? Uh, so there may be uh, uh, events that are on here at St Mary's um, which are just the right sort of events that you want, might want to invite your next-door neighbours to. Um, you wouldn't perhaps want to invite them to a weekend such as this, which is a bit full-on, um, but there, there might be something that was, you know, much more gentle that, that, that could, they could be invited to, um, and uh, that would be a good thing to do in the, the mix of things that you would um, uh, be wanting to be known for. Well, we can come back to that topic a bit later. Uh, if you want to, uh, at the end of this session, and I'll try to make sure we finish at quarter two, uh, no later, so that there's time for, for some more questions. Now, in our last session, in 2 John, we were thinking predominantly of the things that we say no to, uh, and as we looked at the need to be firmly attached to the truth of God's Word, and that being led by the Spirit meant being attached to the truth of God's Word, um, that means saying no to false teaching. We must say no to false teaching, and we don't want to assist false teaching.
But having looked at what we say no to, when we come to 3 John, we're going to be looking at all the sorts of things we should be saying yes to. The things that we should be saying yes to. And in doing so, our theme is going to be working together. Now, the first way in which this finds expression in 3 John is with our money. With our money. So, John wrote to Gaius, uh, who we read about in verse 1. Um, and Gaius, as we read about him, emerges as a very attractive Christian, doesn't he? So he follows the truth in verses 3 and 4. I rejoiced when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. So he follows the truth, and he's faithful in love as well. In verses 5 and 6, uh, people testified to his love. Uh, truth and love you know, once again, we see these two things being linked together. But what uh, John particularly prizes is the way Gaius has been showing that love by supporting visiting ministers. And on the face of it, that's slightly peculiar, isn't it? Um, I, I think of my time as a vicar uh, and of the various people that I, um, uh, you know, offered hospitality to along the way. Uh, Occasionally, visiting missionaries, for example, uh, would come and stay, and um, they'd stay a couple of days while they were at the church. Now, wouldn't it be strange if, if I was back in that position as the vicar of this church in Plymouth, and I'd just put up a, a visiting missionary for the weekend, wouldn't it be strange if my then bishop, Bishop Nick McKinnell, uh, then wrote to me and said, Rod, uh, I heard you'd put this missionary up, and I just want to say, well done. And I'd think, well, that's very odd. I mean, of all the things that he could have said well done for, why choose that? Wouldn't it have been so much better if he'd said, Rod, I, I just want you to know that I've heard about what a good preacher you are. Well done. Or, uh, Rod, I've heard that you're a really strategic thinker. Well done. You know, and the fact that he didn't write to me and say those things shouldn't shouldn't give you reason to believe that I wasn't any of those things. <laughs> but I, 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 you know, if he then wrote and said, but I, I want to say well done for putting this missionary up, it would be a strange thing to do. So why does John particularly commend Gaius for doing this? And the reason is because in doing it, he was standing out against the crowd in the church. He was standing out against the crowd in the church. You see, it seems as though his church had fallen under the influence of the leader that we read about a little bit later, Diotrephes, who basically didn't want anyone taking the limelight from him. So he turned the church against John and against any ministers that came from John to, to, to preach in the local congregation. He turned people against them. So when Gaius decides to offer these visiting ministers hospitality, he's actually making quite a statement, isn't he? He's saying these people should be supported. He's actually being quite brave. And John encourages him. He says about him in verse 5 that he's been loyal. Uh, so uh, verse 5, uh, now... Um, a dear friend, you are faithful 
in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. Um, he uh, says that he's shown love as a result. They've told the church about your love. Uh, so uh, he, he then goes on to talk about how he's helped them on their way as though it were God himself that he was serving. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Um, and actually, you do discover that going on a bit in today's church. Um, I, I do think that you need to be um, uh, uh, delighted and supportive of Tim Dakin as Bishop of Winchester, because he has stuck his neck out in ways that have been really quite brave in much the same, it, not offering hospitality in the same way, but it's in showing which ministries he supports. So, for example, um, at the last two GAFCON conferences, this is the, the gathering together of lots of Anglicans across the world who want to stand firm with what the Bible teaches, uh, particularly in the area of sexuality, but not exclusively on that, just want to stand firm by what the Bible teaches and want to say that there are some parts of the Anglican communion that are going in the wrong direction. So these conferences have taken place, and Tim Dakin has been one of the people that has turned up to both of them. And after the first conference was willing to put his signature to a letter, uh, you know, supporting what they were doing against others who were disapproving of them. So he has stuck his neck above the parapet for that. And, uh, and it can be difficult sometimes doing that. Um, I was told that, you know, mentioning Gascon amongst other bishops in the Church of England was a big no-no, you know, because it sort of caused much sort of intake of breath and sucking of teeth. Uh, actually, I, don't, I think that was overplayed. I don't, think that ha I don't think that is true. But nevertheless, because there's that feeling around, you can see uh, 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 what a big deal it was for someone like Tim Dakin to do that sort of thing. Now, th there, are, there are others who stick their necks up uh, above the parapet when um, the general thrust of what's going on elsewhere within the Christian community may be um, going in a slightly different direction. And there are times when we're called to do that, and it can feel very lonely and quite difficult to do. When the Bishop of Birkenhead wrote his dissenting statement uh, in the Pilling Report that I referred to in our last session, uh, you remember this report that was discussing where we were going on sexuality? There was a dissenting report written by the Bishop of Birkenhead. And I know how very, very nervous he was as a result. He felt intense pressure uh, for having stood out against what others were doing. Uh, and you may say, well, I don't, you know, why? What was the big pressure? But, you know, there are ways in which when you're part of this sort of grouping of bishops and, and uh, you've, you've actually decided to dissent from uh, a major exercise, it can be very disturbing. Well, John says that all Christians should be like Gaius. They should be supporting ministers and missionaries who bring gospel truth with them. Uh, so in verse 8, we read, We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth, so that we may work together for the truth. False teachers should be rejected, but true teachers should be welcomed and supported. And in verse 7, we see that these same ministers 
who went out to um, promote the gospel. They refused financial support from non-Christians because they believed that nobody should be charged to hear the gospel. But that meant that the onus was on the church to support them. I was delighted when Clive was telling me that you don't have collections in this church. You don't have collection bags going around at your services because anybody that comes in needs to know that they're not having to pay for hearing the gospel. It's a free offer. Uh, but it is up to the church to support their ministers. And if God's ministers and missionaries aren't properly supported, well then it's God himself who's not being honoured. By contrast, a church which does provide support can genuinely call its members fellow workers working together for the truth. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't it great? How many talks have you heard uh, given by missionaries that have made you feel guilty? Guilty because you're not a missionary. Um, I used to feel that all the time. I used to think, oh, these people have given up so much to go and work in Timbuktu. You know, um, what am I doing? I'm just sort of getting my mortgage and saving up and, you know, doing all the usual things. And I used to sit there feeling very guilty. Isn't it wonderful to know that we too can be missionaries? We too can work together with them by the support that we give. That is an essential part of gospel ministry. Now, the great thing about giving money is that it makes mission possible. Uh, it makes it possible to engage in it. Uh, and how we use our money uh, is therefore central to the way we work for God's glory as Christians. Um, I've had uh, various chats with um, young professional guys, mainly guys, uh, who have asked me, you know, should I be, um, um, uh, you know, not trying to get on in my job, not trying to, you know, uh, prosper my career, should I actually be devoting much more time to working in the church and, you know, helping out the ministry that's going on there uh, and so on. And I've said to them, which areas of work are you thinking of becoming involved in? Which, 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 where are your gifts? What's your ministry? And I said, okay, now think about the impact that that might have. Now weigh it against the impact of giving buckets of money. I'm quite serious. You know, if you do well in your career, so long as you stay faithful and you're still committed to your church family and you understand that the money you're making is a gift from God and it's his money that you're looking after and therefore you are giving seriously, which is going to have the bigger impact for the gospel? That's the question I've asked them. Uh, and for some, that's helped them make a decision. And it is a good thought, isn't it, that what we do with our money is actually central to gospel ministry. It staggers me sometimes that some churches wring their hands over having no young people and yet sit on huge reserves in the bank. Extraordinary, isn't it? I think the first thing I did when I went to my last parish was I emptied the bank account. Um, and, and I did it by, um, by spending it all on having a youth worker. That's what the church needed. They needed investment in youth work. They didn't have very many young people. Do something about it. Spend the money. 
For us as individual Christians, we shouldn't see the money we give for church ministry as optional. You know, we'll give it if we have it type of thing. Oh yes, of course, if you've not, if you've not got the money, then of course it's not righteous to put yourself in debt or to fail to provide for your family by not giving. But if you have got the money, it's not really an optional thing. We might choose to give or we might not, but one day we're going to meet the Lord Jesus and he's going to ask us what we've done with the money he's given us. Have we kept it back for holidays or a rainy day? Or have we used it to carry out his command to take the gospel to everyone? And how will you answer him? Well, some don't have a lot of money to spare and they give what they can. Jesus knows about that. But can we look Jesus in the eye and say, I've used my money to support gospel ministry as much as I could? So first then, working together with our money. Secondly, working together with our gifts. Working together with our gifts. I don't suppose you've ever come across a church leader like Diotrephes. Maybe you have. Maybe you think Clive is like Diotrephes. Um, I don't think you would, though, from what I've gathered from the way Clive operates things. Uh, he um, wonderfully stands back in some key areas, and that's just what Diotrephes found so very difficult. He wasn't, as far as we know, a heretic or a false teacher, but he was very full of himself. Uh, we, he loved, according to verse 9, to put himself first. He loves to be first, we read about in verse 9. He hated the idea of uh, kowtowing to the Apostle John, so he tried not to acknowledge John's authority, and he did everything he could to undermine John's authority with evil words. Now, we're used to people spinning, aren't we, with evil words. Um, I remember... Um, a couple of years ago, some, an expose in the papers uh, from Damien McBride, who was a key advisor to Gordon Brown, um, and how he regularly planted stories uh, in the press about other Labour ministers, suggesting you know, that they'd had affairs or whatever it might be, in order to destroy them and to get rid of anyone who would oppose Gordon Brown. Well, uh, this was a case of the world coming into the church because Diotrephes did the same sort of thing uh, to John and for exactly the same sort of reason, to undermine him and to preserve his own power. So uh, let's just read about this individual. Um, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously, about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Well, that's what characterized him, the desire to be in control. And it was for that reason that he refused to welcome the visiting ministers or allow anyone else in the church to do so. And if they did, verse 10, he expelled them. Well, you can find the same sort of thing going on today. Uh, in dioceses, there will be some officials who are more concerned to maintain the system of doing things than to work out what would be best 
for the proclamation of the gospel. More concerned for the system than the gospel. You can find that. Uh, wonderfully, in my experience, and I'm just starting to gain it as I go around dioceses, I'm discovering the contrary to that time and time again. People that are genuinely concerned for the spread of the gospel. So we mustn't talk ourselves into believing things that are worse than they are, because there are some genuinely outstanding gospel people doing awful jobs um, um, uh, in the background uh, that you never really ever get to see. Um, but there are some who act the other way. And there are some vicars that are like that as well. They, they're, they're the ones who want to make every decision. Sometimes vicars have sort of fallen into that role because they found it so difficult to find volunteers that they've sort of drifted into becoming the only one who can take the decisions. That said, I, I have to say, one of the great things about the Church of England, one of the reasons I think the Church of England is so good, just one of the reasons, there are lots of reasons why it's so good, but one of the reasons is that in the Church of England, power is balanced. So that even if a vicar does start to go off the rails and become a bit like Diotrephes, um, the Church of England recognises the fallenness of, of human beings, even if they're converted. So it balances power. Uh, for example, a bishop um, can appoint a vicar and can license them, but the bishop can't preach in that vicar's church without the vicar's permission. Uh, the vicar uh, can preach uh, um, what he wants and not be kicked out of his job by his PCC. Uh, so that, I know that can, you know, have detrimental effects on what a vicar says, but it's also very positive for the gospel, because in times past, when vicars have preached the gospel, the congregation hasn't liked to hear it, and they wanted to get rid of him and discovered they couldn't. On the other hand, the vicar can't just walk about doing what he likes. He can't, for example, change the structure of services without the PCC's approval. And when it comes to the appointment of a new vicar, the PCC's representatives have a veto they may not be able to propose exactly who's on the shortlist, but they have a veto who's, over who's appointed. So it's a very good balance in the Church of England, and uh, I think it's a good system, uh, given the fallenness of human beings. Well, Diotrephes here, his heart was all wrong, because he was more concerned for himself than Christ. And the Church should never have let anyone get into that position, because the New Testament is clear that everyone has a ministry. Um, and um, uh, uh, I, I suppose it's very important to understand that the New Testament itself is clear, that everyone does have a ministry, everyone has gifts, uh, a gift from the Holy Spirit to contribute to the wider whole, um, and um, if it's biblical, it should be obeyed. In other words, we should be considering how we all exercise our gifts within the church. Everyone is needed, not just the vicar. So, for example, someone in the congregation will be able to suggest a way of applying the truth that's been taught from the pulpit, and it will be a, a helpful thing for people to hear. Someone else will give a testimony about what God means to them. Someone else will show hospitality, inviting a newcomer around for coffee during the week, uh, helping after the services with all the clearing up that has to take place. Someone else 
uh, will help doing the admin for one of the groups that's happening. Someone else will help with the bookkeeping uh, and someone will put all the chairs away. No one should ever, no one person can ever make a church because God has given us all gifts. Diotrephes was not the church. So we work together with our money and with our gifts. And then thirdly and finally, we work together with our lives, with our lives. There's a third character in 3 John. We've looked at Gaius, we've looked at Diotrephes, but there is a third one mentioned, and that's Demetrius in verse uh, 12. Demetrius. Now, verse 11 starts by saying, um, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. So, uh, imitate not evil, but imitate good. And, of course, if you're imitating something, well, uh, I suppose we all find ourselves picking up things from other people, don't we? We pick up mannerisms from other people. Um, when I was at university, I used to be so impressed by certain lecturers that I, I, I inevitably thought that, you know, engaging in the sort of thinking they were encouraging us to do meant expressing it in the same way as they did. And it was ridiculous. The results were, were, were you know, well, they're strange to say the least. You know, I would, I would sort of be sitting in a tutorial and I would say, well, I want to uh, share my thoughts on this, uh, you know, and I, you know, as, honestly, as though I was 60 at the age of 20. Now I am 60, I'm picked up all sorts of mannerisms from all sorts of people. I'm the weirdest concoction. So we all find ourselves picking up mannerisms from other people, but John is concerned that with a powerful personality around like Diotrephes, people don't imitate him. Instead, they're to imitate Christ. And that is what uh, Demetrius was doing in verse 12. So Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. So Demetrius has testimony from everyone, so he was well known, and, John says, from the truth itself. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, back in verses 3 and 4, John has praised Gaius because people testified by, about the truth of his life. In other words, Jesus Christ permeated everything that Gaius did. And if someone told him, you know, that they were going to drop in on him unannounced, he didn't have to change anything in his life. They could drop in any time and see that what he was doing was Christ-like. He was following Christ. Years ago, um, it was actually during the time when I'd fallen away from Christ, but I, well, it was just after that period in my 20s when I was coming back Christ was drawing me back to himself and I'd started going to church again and I'd started joining in with what the church was doing. But it was a time when I was smoking. I'm not saying it's evil to smoke, but, you know, I, I was smoking. But I was ashamed of it. Uh, I knew that other people in the church didn't smoke. Uh, and I was, you know, 25 a day, I think. And um, I used to try and pretend that I didn't. 
So if anybody was coming to the house, you know, I'd open all the doors, I'd air the house, flap the curtains, I, uh, I, I put on a different jacket in the hope that that smelt less of smoke and sprayed my mouth and you did various things. And of course, you know, I should have realised it didn't fool anyone because everybody knows that if you smoke in your house, everything about you, your clothes, your furniture, everything else, smells like old ashtrays. And, um, you know, of course they would have been able to tell. Well, with Demetrius, in verse 12, there was no pretense. In all parts of his life, he imitated Christ. So if you compared him to what the truth said, to what Jesus said in the Bible, his Christ-likeness would shine through, even by the truth itself, we're told. And then John says, we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. So let's not pretend in our lives. We may be immersed in something that's not right in our own lives. So let's put that aside and instead imitate Christ. And then, well, we'll be Christ-like people. Working together for the spread of the gospel, giving our money to express our part in the ministry of the gospel, using our gifts to build up the church in its understanding of and ability to demonstrate the gospel, and above all, soaking ourselves in the word of God so that increasingly we're imitating Christ. Well, pray God that that will be true for us because the more that we are, the more life-changing our presence will be in our own communities. Amen. Shall we just um, have a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these letters that John wrote. We thank you for their realism about uh, the nature of church life, that it, is, it always does seem to be troubled by people who want to take us away from the Bible's teaching, uh, troubled sometimes by individuals who uh, seem to be teaching the truth but uh, are personally more interested in themselves than in Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, we pray that none of that will turn us into people who are just reactive and become hard-nosed and um, dry in our reaction to these things. Help us to be clear in our own minds about avoiding evil, imitating what is good, uh, seeking not to support false teaching, but seeking actively to su support the spread of the gospel. But above all, Heavenly Father, help us to take to heart the teaching in these letters that we are to be people who are loving. And we pray that in our defense of the truth and in our following of the truth, we would realize that demonstrating love for one another as we do it is a key part of the truth because the truth is founded on Jesus Christ and it is him that we want to continue with, walk with and imitate. So Heavenly Father we pray that you would give us a fresh vision of the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ, of the wonder of who he is and what he's done for us and may that inspire within us a desire to love and to serve our neighbour and one another in this fellowship here at St Mary's. And we pray that as we do so, we may encourage each other in the truth and continue to walk in it, not running ahead of it, 
but walking in it and holding firm to the way your spirit works in our lives. We ask all of these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Um, is there one particular thing that we could pray about for you in your new ministry? Um, the, the, uh, thank you for that. The, the things that I pray about, that I ask people to pray for, um, are that I will stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ in this ministry. And the reason I ask that is because it's a very odd thing to be ministering and yet to be separated from a regular local congregation. Um, and what you observe amongst um, most bishops is that because they've been put in this strange position where they're not related to one congregation and, and therefore almost held, both held accountable but also having you know, normal relationships with them, they tend to find their support and encouragement from each other and the gatherings of bishops that occur. Um, and um, for that reason, some can sometimes um, modify uh, uh, a stance they would have taken just because of the sort of encouragement that they're getting from the people they meet. So uh, um, I'm, I'm hoping I've put together arrangements that will safeguard against that. For example, I've formed an advisory group made up of good people that will hopefully keep me on the ball. Um, but do pray that I would be faithful to the Lord Jesus and wouldn't be, wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, be led away. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is that I'm going around all the dioceses at the moment to talk to them about what I could do within their dioceses. And it would be very good indeed if you could pray that the Lord will open doors of opportunity for me uh, so that my involvement can genuinely help to prosper the gospel. Not just make people feel comfortable, you know, congregations like you, not just to say, oh yeah, we've got the right sort of person as our bishop, that's okay, good. It's not about that, it's about extending the gospel. So. I'd love to agree arrangements that will enable me to encourage congregations to send more people into ordained training, to plant new churches, to, to grow as a congregation, to, 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 to feel as though you're being, well, to know that you're being backed up in your diocesan arrangements with what you're doing and so on. So two things, faithfulness to the Lord Jesus and doors opened in dioceses. Thanks. Um, on the, the question of gifts and making sure that, um, that one both applies one's gifts and, and also that one does it appropriately, you know, that you don't fall into becoming a diophanes, that one, but on the other hand, that you find what your talents are and, where, and make sure that, they get them, that you get them offered and applied. I suppose noticed. And this, that's the, that to me is a, is a bit of a problem. That, you know, do you if, if you want to, if you want to get your gifts noticed, there's a danger that you that you're saying, oh, actually, I, I, th I think I should be doing more here. I'm more important than everybody realizes. How do you f avoid? How do you avoid that trap, while still making sure that what you can offer is offered and is used as much as <coughs> it possibly can be? Thank you very much. And this is always the question in congregations, isn't it? How do we how do we actually do it in practice? Um, there will be lots of different answers to this, but. Can I, can I say two things that, that I think are important? Number one is that if it's your gift, you will find yourself doing part of it naturally anyway. 
So you will find yourself doing it, whether you've volunteered for it or not. If your gift is putting away chairs, you will always be hanging around, you know, helping put away chairs. If your gift is PA, you'll always be making a nuisance up at the desk up there. Um, if your gift is um, admin, you'll be forever, make, you know, getting in the uh, administrator's hair, you know, because you're suggesting new ways of doing things. Um, so part of it will just be happening naturally. If it's hospitality, you'll just be inviting people. If it's visiting, you'll be visiting people. You don't need to be given permission to do that. You get on and do it. Um, the second thing to say um, uh, is that... Um, uh, what was the second thing? One is, one is doing it naturally. Um, uh, oh, yeah, the other thing is that what undergirds all of these gifts is the desire to serve. Um, so it's not the desire for people to see how much you've got to contribute. It's the desire to help build up the body of Christ. So if you feel as though you're being overlooked or you don't have an opportunity to serve and you, you would like to but you just don't know what to do, just listen out to the next request for volunteers at anything. Go on, go and do the toddler group. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm, that's, that's a bit of a joke, but uh, I mean, it's not necessarily a joke because toddler groups are one of the most effective ways of reaching uh, um, people who don't yet know Jesus Christ. Um, but um, uh, whatever it is, whatever's requested, volunteer for it. And if it's not the right thing for you to do, that'll be noticed. And people will say... <laughs> and, and, and people will say, what could we get him to do instead? so his nose won't be put out of joint. Then you'll get noticed. I think we'll put the questions on hold there, but afterwards, Rod, you'll okay. be around for private questions. Yeah. Can, I, ju can I just answer one question that you haven't asked, but was asked in the interval? Uh, and I, 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 that I sounds to be very possible. Um, it, it was about this parish share system and about when it's right to sort of withhold money and when it's not right and, and, and all of that. And um, I, I do just want to be clear that uh, the mere fact that some parish church somewhere in the diocese has said or done something wrong doesn't mean you should immediately withhold money on the grounds that some minuscule proportion of it might be going to support that person's ministry. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is where you've got false teaching spreading through the church um, and it is promoted by people who get publicity for it. So if there was a big diocesan initiative that was clearly unfaithful, or if there was someone who was, was, was not paying their own way, but had managed to get an awful lot of publicity for some unbiblical viewpoint, that might be the time when you took that sort of action. But if the bishop decides... I know, for example, that one of the things you're pursuing at the moment is getting a new curate... Um, and, it, and it is, you know, very odd indeed that you have to struggle to do that. But the mere fact that, uh, you know, things haven't automatically fitted in for you doesn't mean that someone is out to prevent your gospel ministry and is promoting a false ministry. It may mean they're being unfair, but it's not the same as false teaching. So that's not what we're talking about in terms of, you know, stopping parish share payments or anything. That's not what we're talking about. And so it's, uh, all I'm saying is you need to think about how your money is being applied and is it 
prospering the gospel. And if it is, that's great. And in general, in the Church of England, uh, I think you can argue that it is, but not always. Uh, if I may take a question on your first talk this morning. Uh, you made a distinction between first order and second order issues. Yeah. Now, I'm sure you didn't mean this, but I, I think it would be helpful to hear your comment in that it could easily be uh, misconstrued that second order issues are unimportant. So that's one thing. The second thing also is that second order issues are often just a staging post to overcoming a first order issue. Uh, and in, and obvi the obvious examples I'm sure come to mind. Yeah. So if you could comment on both of those, please. Yeah, uh, uh, and, and that's a... Can I, can I just check that everyone got the question? Some people over there didn't, so could you okay, repeat well, it summarise? Um, what I'm being asked about is, coming back to this question of what's the difference between second order and first order issues. And if something is second order, does that mean it doesn't matter? Um, uh, and isn't it the case that sometimes an apparently second order issue can lead to a situation where a first order issue is at stake? That's the, the gist of what you're asking, I think. Um, and um, to that, I, I want to say, no, a second order issue does matter, but the Bible is clear that uh, there will be times in the church's life where there are genuine disagreements between Christians that ought not to lead them into a state of disunity. So the whole thrust, for example, in the New Testament of this business about eating food sacrificed to idols uh, was a case in point. Some people's consciences prohibited them from doing it. Uh, other people's consciences said, well, an idol is nothing, so why shouldn't we? And of course, it was a real issue for people in those days because the only time you ever bought meat, you didn't have butcher's shops, you went to the temple to get the meat that had been offered to idols. Um, so if you were a meat eater, you were likely to be doing that. Um, that's why it was a real issue. Um, and Paul says, look, um, the, the key question is, what is going to help people grow as Christians and what's going to promote the gospel? If me eating meat, which I am free to do, um, if me eating meat is going to offend somebody else's conscience or if it's going to make them think, okay, well, if he's eating meat, it must be all right to sacrifice to idols, then I'm actually doing him a disservice from the gospel and I shouldn't do it. So he was prepared to compromise on what he felt free to do for the sake of the upbuilding of his brethren. Now, that didn't mean that the issue didn't matter. The issue did matter. Uh, we are free from uh, you know, having to uh, uh, be bound by those sorts of rules. Um, and the gospel is a gospel of freedom. Um, but for the sake of the weaker brethren, Paul was prepared to compromise. So in our own case, if I say that the issue of women's ministry is a second-order issue, um, it is something I can compromise on. But I do know that the reason I've made this stand in the first place is because I believe it to be taught in the Bible. And I believe that it is paramount that we are faithful to the truth. Um, and if I was to say, oh well, it doesn't matter, what I'm saying is, um, I will ignore those parts of the Bible uh, that, that teach on this. Well, I'm not going to ignore that. It has first-order implications, in other words. And most second-order issues do. We just have to be able to hold these things together. 
we have to say this matters because it's in the Bible, but um, I recognize that this is not a salvation issue and it is something that others have a genuine disagreement with and they too are committed to the authority of the Bible, therefore I will agree to live in unity with them, even though I'm going to continue to hold my view because I, I must respect the authority of the Bible as I understand it. So that's why I think it's still important, but why I think we can have the measure of compromise we've got. Um, does it lead on to compromise on first-order issues? And the answer is there are plenty of people who would like to encourage us to see that it does. So in the case of uh, women and men's ministry, we've reached a position in the church where we've got a separate bishop to provide encouragement for this group of people, and we've got all the others that are providing encouragement for those people who take that view. Um, and we, we believe in something called mutual flourishing, so we're both going to seek the good of the other in the church. And, and obviously people are saying, well, why can't we apply that to sexuality? And they are saying it. They're saying, why can't we just do exactly the same thing about sexuality? In other words, we agree to disagree, but we will live with one another and we will seek the good in each other. And the reason we can't do it is because it's a different gospel. It's a first-order issue. It's actually saying we no longer believe that Jesus needed to die for this. We believe, in fact, that God blesses this. You, there is no... Uh, communion between those views. Uh, there is no way in which I can seek the good of people who are saying you do not need to repent. Uh, because um, obviously I want to seek their good as people, but not of their position, um, because it's a salvation issue. Uh, so yes, uh, there, there, there will always be pressure to do that. And, and there must have been in the early church. So um, for example, um, you know, you think, of the, you think of the ways in which Paul was prepared to uh, shave his head in fulfilment of a vow and, uh, and, and do things like that uh, and to appear to be a, a, a very good Jew to, because he was trying to win people for the gospel. And you could see how easily people could move from that to saying, oh, well, in that case, let's give in to the Judaizing party and let's get everyone circumcised and let's, you know, emphasize obedience to the law uh, as we always have and so on. You could see how easily it is to move into that, but Paul was clear, we do anything for the sake of the gospel, but we do not allow the gospel to be compromised. And that's where we've got to be open-eyed about what we do. In your first talk, Rod, you talked about uh, speaking the truth in love, and I think there was a little bit of a reference to uh, the trickiness of doing that in a world which is um, increasingly different to uh, the way we see it. Um, do you think sometimes there's a tendency for us as Christians to hold ourselves away with other Christians? And do you have any kind of top tips for the way that in an increasingly different world we speak the truth in love? Um, uh yeah, thank you. you, what you what, if I understand your question right, you're saying, is there a danger that we'll go into our little cabals, our little holy groups of people, and seek support and encouragement from one another, and be more distant from the world? Yes. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, there is always that um, 
temptation. Um, sometimes I think that, you know, when people, people sometimes who are headed for ordination in the Church of England, um, and then they get persuaded that the Church of England's going to the dogs, and they, you know, they go off into running independent churches. And I sometimes think, well, actually, they're leaving the scene of battle, really. Uh, I, I, no, I know that there are good reasons for doing it, and, you know, they have to follow their conscience and, and so on, so I'm not criticising them, but sometimes there is a way in which it's a matter of distancing ourselves from engaging in the messiness of the world in order to be purer. Um, uh, one of the great things about the Church of England is that we are so connected into our communities. Uh, we are such a broad church, so if you're in the Church of England, you tend to be more engaged than less. And that's another good reason to be in the Church of England. Um, less cabal-like. However, even in, in amongst us, we can do it in our own little social groupings and so on. Uh, there are various things that we need to bear in mind. First of all, um, uh, it, it is good to be engaged in public life and to insist that there is a role for the Christian voice in public life. There are organisations that encourage us to do that, and that by supporting them, we can encourage others to do that. Um, you know, organisations like the Christian Institute and Christian Concern and so forth. Um, so they're good things to support because they do help us to engage with the wider world. Uh, individually, um, uh, I, I, I always remember a, a previous vicar saying, I'm surrounded by so many Christians all the time, I have to make special efforts to be engaged with the world around, uh, which was his reason why he wanted to go and play squash rather than come to a meeting. Um, and it was a good reason. So he deliberately joined clubs in order to make sure he was engaging uh, with non-Christians. And one of the great things about the situation we're in, uh, Peter Jensen was saying this um, a year ago, he said, you might regard the UK as a place where we've lived in the dusk of a, a Christian inheritance for a long time, and night has now fallen. But he says, the good news is that when, when it's very dark, the light that has been shining shines much more brightly. You notice it much more. And if you've ever felt to yourself, well, you know, my neighbours seem to be good people, there's nothing really you know, that I can do that will show Christianity is very distinctive. Well, that's less and less the case, isn't it? Just by living among people, being open to them, uh, inviting them in to have meals with us, you know, sharing where we can, engaging with them, playing in the football teams, you know, and, and, and socialising, um, people will notice. They will notice that things are different. Maybe they'll just notice that we go to church on a Sunday. That in itself is a big statement these days. They will notice that we tend not to swear. They will notice that we're, we, we actually give up our time to help one another. They will notice that there's something about our relationship with our wife that's different. I remember a, a Chinese student in Oxford uh, saying once that he was put up for three months by a Christian couple and he said, the thing that finally convinced me that there was more to Christianity than I'd realised was the way you two argue. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You'd think that that would be a big disincentive, but it was the way they argued that was somehow influenced by their Christianity uh, compared to the way others argue. You know, if you are 
a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trying to put the truth into practice in your life, it will show. So all you have to do is just welcome people in to see it.